Of course, you're absolutely correct, Spencer, and remarkably insightful for someone who doesn't understand what the bloody hell they are banging on about. Come and play, everything's A-okay. Hey, Safino, was um, your last podcast brought to you by the letters G, the letters B, and the letter G, and the numbers 6 and 100? I'm sure, are you putting Sesame Street Easter eggs into your podcast, mate? I've just listened to Spencer's, uh, of Keep with the Borderlands, latest podcast. And he was putting Easter eggs impressions. And one of them was of you, Safino, in his podcast. And I'm thinking, have you been speaking to each other and arranging Easter eggs? Oh, am I just being paranoid? Oh, I'm going to have to go back through all of your back catalogues now and check for Easter eggs. It's, oh, man, still my head in. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. Um. Okay, so thanks there for um, uh, Spencer's uh, very, very convincing impression impersonation of me, and uh, thank you to uh, to Safer of uh, Safer Fantasy Crafting for um. <laughs> honestly, big. I don't know what the Sesame Street thing is. Um, I can tell you that my son's uh, home name is uh, is Sesame, or Mare, uh, which is Vietnamese for sesame seed. Um, but no, I don't know where Big Bird fits into it all. Um, oh, and I should mention as well, that, that was Spencer calling at the beginning there with uh, his impersonation of me, um, Spencer of um, Free Thrill, um, Keep Off the Borderlands. Yeah, I'm pleased uh, I, to say that I got quite a few um, uh, messages and uh, even uh, one or two emails uh, about this uh, City of Glass uh, challenge. Um, but I think first I'm going to play a few responses to the earlier train carriage prompt. So one moment, please, while I go through the archives and um, dig that out of the, uh, the place where top men are keeping an eye on it. Top men. Yeah, very good, very nice. Ethnography carriage rather than anthropology carriage. Um, you're thinking of two, you know, a dual carriage, two income streams. No, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking that the TOFs, in their the price of their ticket, are paying for the the riffraff to to be there. So there. Barney there from Loco Ludus. The Ludo Locust, Ludo Locust, uh, a plague on both your houses. No, on none of your houses. No locusts or loci. Um, 
Barney from Loco Ludus there. Um, now, yeah, so I've just when I responded to your last call in ethnography, I was just referring to the fact that that's the term used for the uh, an anthropological tract, I think, which is um, just a, a phrase. I wasn't correcting anthropology to ethnography. Anthropology um, is perfect. And uh, I suppose ethnography is just a division of um, anthropology. And an ethnographer would just be a, an anthropologist who specifically does field work in order to write eth. Why, 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 why am I? See, language is complicated, isn't it? It's not complicated. Uh, oh no, I'm going to start talking about deconstruction now. I'm a mess. Anyway, yeah, I totally agree. So the idea of the the fares of the richer um, uh, passengers, the upper class, anthropologically minded, ethnographically producing passengers, subsidizes the fares of the riffraff aboard the train, as a you put it, um, for the full experience. Right, it's. A good concept and we like it a lot um in fact it uh triggered something in the imagination of um uh one free throw um from uh keep off, off the borderlands uh which i'm gonna play now um and i'm gonna later play um and some more messages from barney so one second hi Safinio, spencer here i'm just enjoying your broom cupboard episode and particularly barney's call-ins I'm thinking about his train carriage idea with the ethnographers and you suggesting that perhaps there were ethnographers going in disguised as the underclasses for the, you know, getting the genuine experience. And then I immediately went to thinking, well, what if the carriage was entirely filled with ethnographers in disguise, unwittingly, all studying each other. Not so, it's not so much a gaming idea as just an amusing thought. Anyway, take care. Hi, thanks, Spencer. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think that would dovetail really nicely. I think it would be a, a good gaming idea as well as an amusing thought. Like, um, you know, any game where you've got an undercover situation, um, who is, you know, what? where do people's loyalties lie? What is the reality of their identity? Who are any of us? You know, some existential drama or indeed existential horror, as uh, um, as Safer was discussing in his last podcast in response to Andy's horror podcast. Um, uh, I think I mentioned in a message about the uh, Chesterton novel, uh, The Man Who Was Tuesday, or maybe it was the man who was Thursday <laughs> uh, about um, uh, someone attempting to infiltrate a ring of anarchists in uh, Edwardian London. Uh, it's quite a fun read. Um, although, um, no, I'm not going to say it has a disappointing ending. It's, let's just say it's it's called, it's prefaced as a metaphysical novel and uh, it has uh, some of the gumph that might go with that. But it's quite fun. I might just abuse my privileges here and um, just put something out there. I expect maybe a friend of the podcast, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, may be able to help me here um, as is something of a film buff. Um, I think Spencer is as well. Um, 
in both in different genres, I think. <laughs> but uh, maybe there's some crossover here. I'm trying to remember a film where there were two. There was a pair of police officers. There you go. That's it. A film about two cops. <laughs> no. And they infiltrate a drugs ring and end up killing, in a, by mistake, they kill the two head honchos of this drugs ring, then find out that those two drug dealers are, in fact, undercover cops or undercover FBI agents or, you know, they're narcs in narcotics, something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, I can't remember what the film was. Um, can you help? Anyway, let's get things back on track. Uh, here's a call from Goblin's Henchman. Nice to you know, it's uh, Golden Sentiment here. Um, thanks for leaving the message the other day about um, D&D me. Um, <laughs> I probably should have caveated your, uh, explained your comment about the uh, hot card, so apologies for that. Um, just listen to your thing about trains, um, carriages. I don't know if you're aware, in the past, um, Skirples from the Coins and Scrolls blog did do a um, kind of one of these community projects where people chipped in with different train carriages. I think it was called the Indefinite Train Community Project. Yeah, here it is. Um, it was after the G plus days, so I think it didn't really quite take off, but there's a good um, uh, half a dozen carriages in there. One done by me, I might add. So uh, check it out. Cheers. Hi there. Thank you, Goblin's Henchman um, of Goblin's Henchman's uh, podcast uh, here on Anchor and also uh, an excellent blog up on WordPress and also the publisher of some very fine game material which you can locate on DriveThruRPG. Um, I just want to rec- uh, recognise, <laughs> I just want to recommend um, one, of the, one of the many things uh, they've popularised is um, the Hex Flower. And uh, some of the material relating to that is is really, really good and a really, really excellent tool for um, procedural generation, uh, especially in old school games. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Skirples is, uh, well, I'm a big fan of Skirples and the Coins and Scrolls uh, blog. And uh, you did, I had forgotten about that, but you did remind me. And I remembered that there was a lot of material archived relating to that on the OSR Discord server. Um, that's the Chris Mc, formerly the one that Chris McDowell set up, not any of the others. I, I don't know. Um, so I rejoined that server just so I could track the link down. I don't know why I didn't just Google it, but or go to the Coins and Scrolls website. I think I just wanted to go back onto that Discord server because it, it's not a bad place and there's some good people there. Um, so um, I, yeah, uh, I'm going to include a link to the G drive in the show notes. Uh, I think it's the same thing. I had it here. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's the same thing because it's a, a series of trains, collaborative train carriages made by Skirples. Anyway, and I, I passed on the link to um, Fred Pepper of Shuttered Room, um, who was very uh, interested to read it. He, he, he was the original pers- uh, person who set the prompt for the show. Um, yeah, but I'll try and include uh, a link. I will include a link in the, the show notes. Thanks again, Goblin's Henchman. Uh, yeah, and I think I'm going to play um, something now from first-time listener and a first-time caller. Very exciting. Who could it be? Hey, first-time listener, first-time caller. What's up, dude? I just wanted to say hello. 
listening to your latest episode before I dive back into your back catalog and I haven't gotten to the prompt yet, which is a brilliant idea, by the way, but I'm listening to you talk about how much room there is in the Stone Age uh, space for game design. And absolutely, man, I love um, I love ancient technology, ancient history, all that stuff. You know, um, you may have heard me talk about that on <laughs> some other people's like Barney's show a bunch. But yeah, I'm all about it. The younger Dryas, catastrophe, all that shit. We don't know what's out there and there's just so much room to play with. Anyway, peace out. Thanks, Joe. Really happy uh, to hear you calling in. I'm, of course, very familiar with uh, your call-ins on the other, uh, all the other Anchorite uh, podcasts. So this is uh, very heartwarming to hear from you. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, and of course, I think, yeah, we're in total agreement here. Um, I think there's room for there's room for everybody in loads of uh, different um, genres and time periods and stuff. But um, definitely, uh, Stone Age. Um, yeah, there could be more attention to this, and I, I'd, I'd love to see more and more people exploring the possibilities of uh, kind of pre-recorded history settings or the dawn of recorded history settings uh, in you know like a late Neolithic kind of game. And yeah, you can take it in all sorts of directions. You could go really far out there and get into like a, a 10,000 BC ancient aliens, uh, you know, Atlantean kind of lost civilizations right up to something really like um, simulationist and uh, prehistorically uh, accurate. So yeah, super, super fun, I think. Um, yeah, I think like Stone Age sorts, suits sword and sorcery really, really well. Um and I think I'm going to use your call as a lead in to um, the last my last podcast prompt, which was about uh, who lives in the city of glass. So here is Joe uh, responding to the prompt. Who lives in the city of glass? His multifaceted insectile eyes fixed firmly on the glittering city. Fellowman Zandikar continues trudging through the vast golden plains that surround the city of glass. Mother's voice constantly screaming in his head to go, to conquer, to make all serve the mother. He knows that somewhere within the city lies the heart of glass. And if he can find it and destroy it, all things will serve the hive. The wind rushes through Tanaka's black hair, pulling it behind him like an ebony waterfall. The muscular, dark-skinned youth adjusts the sails of his little skiff and points the windrunner directly at the shining city of glass, urging more speed. He comes to the city as a pilgrim. He comes in an act of supplication, but also as a warning. The elders felt a presence coming to the city, an evil a cancer that could spread through the heart and poison their entire civilization, bringing ruin to everything. If Tanaka could just make it there in time, perhaps he could do something to stop it. Fantastic stuff. See, straight off the bat, I thought I'd open with um, with Joe's uh, messages so that we have a kind of epic backdrop. We have a, a protagonist and an antagonist and a you know, a, a raging conflict, a brewing conflict um, waiting to happen um, at this place. 
Um, and then, um, but, you know, maybe the people, the residents themselves are oblivious to this kind of forthcoming um, epic conflict. So I'd like you to hear a little bit more about some of the people you might actually find there. What is the City of Glass? What does it mean? Hey, Jason here. So I've been sitting here drinking scotch in a hotel room. And my first answer to your city glass question would we, but what we, we here in America call Karens, or people that get annoyed at the little thing and want to yell and demand and, you, you know, act like their rights and, or no, maybe not their rights, but, but, you know, they are so much more important than everybody else. And, and you know, of course, that harkens back to the he who lives in glass house shouldn't throw stones, right? So somebody that personality, but, in rethinking it, I'm going to propose something different. I'm going to propose the glass city, of course, is the home of cockroaches, cockroaches and sentient Twinkies, because they are all that can live in the Trinitite or the Alamogordo glass city. There you go. So we've got a definite post-apocalyptic vibe there. Thank you, Jason, uh, Nerds Variety RPG cast probably got that wrong i'm gonna to have to revise my yeah nerds variety rpg cast um definitely a post-apocalyptic feel cockroaches and twinkies right um and that fits in well it connects with like uh joe's insectoid nemesis um although it's definitely the 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 protagonist is humanoid um who says they can't all live in the city together um yeah, Karens in their glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Excellent. All right. Um, I'm going to have to read out the next one because this is a message from Leon, a.k.a. Bubble Reg or Bubble Reg <laughs> or Bubble Reg. Um, uh, <laughs> Bubble Reg, um, who uh, a friend and colleague on the Garblag uh, Games channel. OK, so from Leon, we have. Number one, a bird tower technician. This person maintains the operation of towers placed around and throughout the city that keep the birds away, by magic or science. Before the towers were erected, the city had a huge problem with birds flying into all the glass structures. This was sad for people that cared about birds, and a nuisance for those that didn't. Two, pest controller. Hmm... Could be a problem with the giant insect inhabitants, let's see. This person works for the large municipal pest control operation. Due to the lack of birds, birds are uh, bugs are a large nuisance in the city. Pest controllers are easy to spot owing to the various liquid containers strapped to their back and limbs, holding various chemicals used to deter or kill bugs. They usually wear a hat with a veil or corks dangling from the brim to keep bugs away from the face while they work. So either beekeepers or uh, cartoon Australians. Number three, an artisan of the Better Tree Workshop. This person creates glass trees. Real plant life is often short-lived due to all the bugs. The city doesn't allow real trees in public spaces, not wanting to encourage bugs and having a general disdain for opaque ornamentation. An artisan will often work on one particular tree throughout their career. They craft a sapling and then replace it with a larger with larger and larger models to replicate the real growth of a tree. An older artisan with an established tree 
will have a collection of apprentices under them that craft the different colour leaves for the tree as the seasons change. Thank you very much, Leon. What I especially liked about that is that you started with one uh, idea um, about the glass obviously prompting the thoughts of birds flying into uh, transparent panes and injuring themselves, and then thought about the implications of that across a city. And then it grew into like something, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's a, a good approach to world building, isn't it? To sort of change one variable or introduce one variable and think about all the possible ramifications and uh, keep branching off on new tangents like uh, like the growth of a glass tree, maybe. I, I like the detail as well about the artisan's assistants because it's you know, very, um, it kind of reminds me of the, the Renaissance uh, artist kind of atelier or like the or maybe later like the kind of William Morris kind of studios or like the yeah like the uh, arts and crafts movement later where you'd have like the artisan and his or her assistants all around them or there <laughs> all around them and um, producing the smaller elements and coming together to fulfill the artisan or the artist's vision in fact um, an approach which is uh, used by a lot of um, big artists, if you will, contemporary artists. Uh, Damien Hirst, um, I think, who I'm not a fan of, but one I am a fan of, Anselm Kiefer, the, uh, who I believe just kind of lives on a <laughs> junkyard and has art students um, operate heavy machinery to help him build this blasted uh, landscape. Hmm. Rambling now, so I'm going to introduce a new message. Uh, thank you, Leon. People you meet in a city of glass. Savinio, you make it sound so simple. To get my head around this, I have to figure out what this city of glass is. City of glass, to me, would be built on a city of stone. And the city of stone is a kind of endlessly moving, grinding place. It's always grinding away at itself, different parts of it. And it's gonna to have to be, it's gonna it's gonna to have to be surrounded by fire or lava or something, fire, I think, more. And there are waves, there are waves of fire which turn the sand into glass. But who are the people here? Who are the people in this realm? I think the people are made of sand and they, they are, they are, they are born in the city of stone and they live in the city of glass and when the waves of fire hit then the people are turned into glass and so this is a kind of a living city the 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 places in the city are somehow sentient or have the echoes of sentience I don't know if that sounds like fun. I don't know if it makes sense. I'm sure uh, various people could tell me that 
it's it it's it lacks internal coherence but you know that's not the point is it it's clearly not the point because there's stuff there's stuff there's people just different substances all clamoring around there with waves of fire thank you barney 100 percent uh right it's not about internal coherence it's about there being things that fire the imagination uh, if you'll excuse the pun um absolutely i think sometimes world building and, and stuff like that gets bogged down in um the minutiae of um you know i, I i've seen people start with um uh, a world map and then work out the weather systems and then work out the effects this will have on culture and language as as those those things could be predicted um I, I think it's wonderful if you can use those tools as a, as a prompt, um, you know, which actually is kind of what Leon did, but in a in a, a smaller and more intimate way, a, a detail which then grew instead of like, a, a, yeah, yeah, so brilliant, um, and um, and there's more to come. It's a very cosmopolitan city if we imagine that all of these things can exist at one time on top of each other, which I think they can. Yeah, so I also had a call from... No, I didn't have a call. This was a message from Semiurge of the wonderful blog Archon's March On, who provided us, or provided me with the, uh, the response to the broom prompt and followed it up with the honey prompt, which many of you responded to. But here are Semi-Urges, D6 people you meet in the City of Glass. One. I. That's his name now. Nothing less and nothing more. He wears a suit of, of mirror shards and soldered wire fixed in painstaking array so that each reflects a facet of his face in varied menacing aspects. There are many in the city like him. Similar suits, similar preoccupations, similar drive to convince people that they're the one among them all who's special. Eyes weighs fear, intimidation, the creation and spread of urban legends. 2. Kahala Distant descendant of the city's founders, a dancer imbued with certain privileges and certain obligations. She wears a dress of obsidian scales that scrapes and susurrates with her motions. When she's dancing, God shines through her, and she's allowed to do what only God may, most often the taking of life, but sometimes it's creation. 3. Faldive Blindfolded, blistered lips, a bloody cough, He's a hunter of invisible things and wears a bandolier of pouches, texture-coded for the weapons of his hunt. Soot to reveal, powdered smoke to suffocate, spark pellets to blast and surprise, and foremost among his weapons is powdered glass to make them bleed. Rosataba, a barrister of some renown, known for his transparency, Glass pane prostheses embedded in his chest and cheeks reveal the steadiness of his heart, the lurid honesty of his tongue. His enemies would have him smeared with rumours of shatter, shatterer sympathies. 
5. Lady Cranberry Self-titled and self-made master of the Sunset Ends Fire Brigades, hard-nosed and uninterested in the city's lofty feuding philosophies, a mercenary trusted in her untrustworthiness, paid off by rivals to stand by while their opposition's buildings burn. Amladua 6. Amladua Ambassador and prisoner from a place above the sky, a being of light held captive and captivated by the city's grand observatory. Not bound to one body as we fleshly creatures are, they refract themselves into many cells throughout the city's foundries and galleries. People you meet in a glass city. Now, the an alternative way of thinking about this would be if it was some kind of the city was some kind of vessel. And I don't mean that it travels around, I mean that it holds stuff. Um, so my first thought would be that the people would basically be liquid, sloshing around. I suppose they could be they could be snacks or you know, like nuts, Bombay mix, um Canapes, I don't know, fruit bowl. Could have, <laughs> could be like fruit people, um, and it's a giant fruit bowl. A dialogue between Marco Polo and the Khan. There is still one of which you never speak. Marco Polo bowed his head. Venice, the Khan said. Marco smiled. What else do you believe I have been talking to you about? The Emperor did not turn a hair. And yet I never heard you mention that name. And Polo said, Every time I describe a city, I'm saying something about Venice. In Italo Calvino's book, Invisible Cities, uh, Kublai Khan, I believe, invites Marco Polo to describe the many cities from his travels. And they are, by degrees, fantastical, terrifying, Bizarre, mundane, beautiful. But of course, in the end, they're all the same place. Just viewed from different angles. So maybe all of these different cities of glass and their varied inhabitants, which might seem superficially incongruous, can comfortably sit on top of one another. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts and additions to this prompt um, because I'm sure that after the call-ins from Joe, from Barney, from Jason and the messages from Leon and from Semiage that you will perhaps have some more thoughts um, about who might live in this place and what these 
this place might mean and how these different interpretations of the city could work together and intersect. So, um, please do call in and we maybe might be able to do another City of Glass episode. But I want to leave you with a mm, clearer prompt. So again, this was provided by Semiurge and it goes like this. This is superstitions to foretell and influence the weather. So can you think of a superstition to foretell and influence the weather? Whether that's, yeah, <laughs> whether that's, I'm the worst. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, especially to those of you who called and messaged and uh, sent emails. Um, Catch up with you soon. Bye.